Welcome back to Death Watch's Call of Cthulhu campaign, Descent into Darkness, Season 2. This is Episode 23, and I am Travis. I will be your keeper today. Our in-universe time puts us on June the 17th at approximately 12 noon, although not exactly. And last time, we left our investigators, two of them, Mr. Monroe and Mr. Whitmire, were in a strange shared dream experience while Dr. Andrews had gone off to meet with Betty Williams, the girlfriend of Murrow Beckett. Now, is there anything else we should remember before we get this one started? We did not get eaten in the forest. That's true. You made it out. All right. Before we get back into it, let's just get a investigator introduction from each of our players. Yes. Well, I'm Wallace Andrews, M.D., Played by Brandon Turner. <laughs> so what's Dr. Andrews, what's in his head? Mm, can't remember. Is he still reading Gargantuan Women from Mars? Yeah, no, he's probably finished that. But since it's been more than a single day since last time we played, I've forgotten all previous activities. But just looking over my journal, I can see that on the way to meet with Betty... Uh, he'll be preoccupied by the wonderful story he was told by Mr. Clark about how a large Italian man ate the flesh off of his arm. Not only <laughs> ate it, but made succulent yeah, sounds. made comments about, about it. Apparently it tasted good. So I'll be thinking about that for a while, I think. <laughs> <laughs> magnifique. <laughs> <Yeah>, magnifique. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's pretty, pretty, pretty weird to eat people. I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, Lan- I'm playing Lance Monroe. This is Justin, I am currently uh, exploring with wonder a dream realm that is open to nearly infinite possibilities as far as Lance is concerned. He has nearly completely forgotten about the, the Dooley murder and <laughs> needs occasionally to be brought back in mind. Yeah, well, that probably would happen in real life, I think. Yeah. If you were propelled into some weird dream experience. But right now he is extremely excited, a little bit cautious, and entirely enthusiastic and continuing forward in the dream. And I'm uh, John playing James Whitmire, who's also in a shared dream experience. And uh, he's pretty excited that uh, this time... He may make it to the town before he wakes up, if he's quick enough. (laughs) Yeah, you better sprint across that field. Yeah, so I had 
said that the very first thing we would do is return to the dream, but I lied. Mm. We're actually going to check <laughs> in with Dr. Andrews before we get back to you two. So, Dr. Andrews, you had left with Mr. Monroe. You had left visiting the lawyer, James Clark, as he was recovering from his cannibal attack. <laughs> and, you know, Mr. Monroe had gone on to visit with the owner of an occult shop named Lamar, and you had had plans to meet Betty Williams for lunch. So that's where we'll pick up right now. Did you want to meet at the meeting places of all meeting places? The Olafferty's Cafe. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where else? <laughs> that guy, he probably just runs it by himself, so he gets breaks when he doesn't have customers, but you guys yeah. go there so often. He, <laughs> he starts lighting up a cigarette, and then he stubs it out and goes back inside. It's like, oh, it's like what will it be today? <laughs> yes, but you, uh, you are sat with Betty Williams, very young, very attractive woman, uh, a student at Radcliffe College for Women, and she has a fixed, concerned expression on her face as she is quite concerned about her missing boyfriend. But in any case, she's agreed to speak to you today, and you can quiz her on the various members of Porcelain, and she hasn't ordered anything but, but tea at the moment. Uh, Ms. Williams, please order some food. Uh, you, you need to eat. I'm a doctor. I know these things. You're you're quite right, but I found my appetite has been diminished of late. Ah, yes, I can understand that. <laughs> quite distraught, are you, about your missing boyfriend? Yes. Mm. Well, you're young. You're attractive. There'll be others. Anyway, <laughs> let's talk about the other members of the Porcellian Finals Club, shall we? We shall, although I don't know them too well, but um, what is it you wanted to know? Well, I don't remember, but uh, any important information will will be fine. <laughs> uh, it's up to me to determine what is important to tell you when I don't know what you might think is I, important. I trust you. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't remember. I had questions for him, and now I don't remember what they were. Well, she could kind of just start going on about the ones that she's met, you know, uh, her boyfriend's circle, because, you know, she doesn't know all of the Porcelian members, but the close circle that he hangs out with. So she begins to discuss, you know, say, William Murrow Jr. She describes him as quiet, but he does give me a unsettling vibe, you know. I, I don't know if it's just because he's quiet or... It just has an odd look about him, you know, kind of like he appears respectful, but that's a facade. And I had heard he had some, he was failing some of his classes. And in particular, he supposedly had a uh, embarrassing argument with, embarrassing and public argument with one of his professors. Do you remember this professor's name? I'm afraid I don't. They, uh, we don't share any of the same professors with the men who attend Harvard. You know, Wallace Bowers... He's the nicest of the bunch, you know. Uh, seems a little impressionable, like he's just hanging on on the heels of the other boys. Wade Hoffman, he's the joker of the group. He he once replaced all the candy apples we serve at Thanksgiving with candied onions. Also, he coated the left foot of the John Harvard statue with skunk musk. Hmm. Um, this is particularly bad because people rub the left foot for good luck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Cole Bishop is a freshman, and he, he's just Murrow's shadow, as far as I could tell. 
but they all seem to share an interest in the occult. I wouldn't say this is standard for all of the Porcellian members. Their big reputation is drinking and, you know, meals, their their roast pig mm-hmm. that they put on from every now and then, and then pranks on people around the campus. But my boyfriend and his friends, they all have this interest in the occult. Uh, you know, I remember one particular time they had gone off to do something, but I think it left my boyfriend shaken because he just wouldn't describe what exactly had done. And oftentimes I'd be hanging out with them and they would rather arbitrarily, it seems, decide that this was uh, the business of Porcellian only and they would leave me and go on to do whatever it is that they do. Do you uh, remember this time when your boyfriend seemed shaken? They wouldn't give you any details, but do you remember where they went? Yeah, the old uh, Church of Contemplation grounds. It must have been last year, I think. I see. I thought that Merle Beckett was going to quit the Porcelain Club after whatever that event was, but that ended up not being the case. Now, Dr. Andrews, I need your help on a matter. As I said, I wish to discover my boyfriend's location and find him, and I get the sense that you know something that could help me with that. Oh, well, so I'll, I'll try to do a psychology to see if she could handle the truth. Okay. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Yeah, let's see if I can find it. Ooh, I got a success. Well, you think that she could. However, you're not entirely certain that you can, as you have described your character kind of defaults to this rational framework when it gets too close to the truth. So. Yeah. You're not entirely certain what the truth is, but you think she can. She does seem to have a good head on her shoulders. And, you know, perhaps the concern for a loved one would be a good buffer mm-hmm. against something that would drive her into madness. Well, I'll chance it. And so, Miss Williams, um, I should tell you that this shouldn't be repeated to anyone. But these rituals and these, you know, activities that this... Porcellian Finals Club engage in by many are thought to just be harmless fun, maybe complete nonsense. Uh, but I'm here to tell you that there is more to it than that, and that it is quite dangerous. And I don't, I wouldn't be able to explain or describe the workings of it, but it is very clear that. This ritual that they performed at the Church of Contemplation uh, had some serious consequences. In in one case, a young boy is in the Danvers you know, Mental Asylum. I can't remember. Yeah, Wallace Bowers, yeah, I heard. Wallace Bowers is there. And in another case, your boyfriend has gone missing. And the end result, of course, was that a man was killed. A man was killed and both Wallace Bowers and your boyfriend have at points taken credit for having caused his death. Well, I think Beckett's not in the right frame of mind. He raves most times when I talk to him. The Beckett I know could not have ordered anybody's killing. Well, I believe you because his personality seems to change. The same with Wallace Bowers. And they oscillate between claiming responsibility and placing the responsibility on others. But the point is that 
there have been some consequences of these activities they've undertaken, which is why I need all the information that I can get from you. Because uh, I think your boyfriend has been taken to an alternate dimension. <laughs> <laughs> wow. That's a short lead up to a yeah. big drop. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems very difficult to grasp, but how would I get to such a place? Uh, there's a ritual to call the, what was it, the Dark Hunter? Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever heard them mention anything like that? A Dark Hunter? No, I'm afraid not. Well, I have myself been attacked by one, and I'll show her my arm, which is the next day, right? Yeah. So we'll have to do the hit point thing. But anyway, I'll show her my arm, and I'll explain that encounter. Okay. And uh, I guess just for effect, I'll tell her about the the drawing that Charlie did uh, of the black hole or whatever that was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, she was there for some of that, although unconscious. Yeah. After you, right? Yeah. Pushed so, her into the thing, and she's well. Yeah. You know, I think if I hadn't been there, if you had told me that, I I wouldn't know what to think. But I saw that thing, and so now it seems as though the rules have changed. You know, my father went missing in France. Mm. You know, presumed dead, and I had this strange thing that happened to me where because we didn't have a proper funeral where we. You know, I mean, we buried an empty casket, but I always had this idea in my head that, you know, because we didn't put a body in the ground, that my father must be somewhere. And if I knew how to go to that place and find him, then I could. And that troubled me for a long time, much longer than had we had a corpse put in the ground. And so I tell you this so you understand what it is doing to my mind to know that my boyfriend is somewhere, and yet I seem unable to do anything about it. This isn't like death. Or something I can easily move on from. If you had somebody you loved in your life and you had some way to get back to them, what extent would you go to, Doctor? Well, it's difficult to say what extent I would go to, but I will say I understand your feelings on the matter. Um, unfortunately, I've I've given all the inf- all the answers I have. Like I know this ritual summons that that creature. I don't know if that ritual or another like it would allow us to cross over to that dimension, or if we have to go through the door, he opens up when he arrives and risk attack. I don't, these are all things that I don't know. I still myself have a hard time believing, even though I've seen it with my own eyes. Well, there's something else. My, I spoke to Beckett just last night in the, over the radio and he was, quite mad, but he was raving about groups of vagrants appearing where he is, and this strange toad-like creature eating these groups of vagrants. Mm. And uh, this seems to be different than what has occurred in previous weeks and previous communications. These groups come in and they're eaten one at a time, and he described how one tried to break free and escape, but there were, I'm sorry, it was very difficult to figure out exactly what he's going for, but it sounded like there were guards around this toad-like creature, and they were made of some black, oily substance, Mm -hmm. and it grabbed him. He couldn't escape. But I don't know. It seems like it's coming to a head. He he seems in fear of his life. I don't know why he has not already been fed to this god. Now, this this toad-like creature, 
Like I, I was there for some of the conversations Monroe was having with Mueller. Yeah. It's like, Ig, Ig, what, what's, what's this thing's name? Uh, Zagua. Zagua. Yeah. 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 And you had, um, or and B Eddie had discussed it a little bit before you hmm. destroyed his soul fetter. Um, but it wasn't very detailed that, uh, but you have in the course of this narrative understood that Beckett has seen characters that very closely fit the description of consortium members of, right. of Mr. Blackman that seem to be down in wherever this subterranean space he's being held. Yeah. Which seems to be a shrine or a dwelling place for Zagua. Right. And he had mentioned that a, a professor that he was taken with was fed to Zagua. Yeah, that's right. The professor. Um, do, do we know this professor's name? Ronan Jarvis. Ronan Jarvis. You learned that from uh, Detective Nichols. Yeah. Well, let's pause here for a moment and uh, you can think it over. You guys will eat in silent for a few, for in silence for a few minutes and then we'll pop over to the dream state that Mr. Monroe and Mr. Whitmire share. And uh, so as you guys leave the woods, you see fertile fields rolling out beyond towards a blue river. Uh, you see smoke rising from chimneys of scattered cottages and hedges and roads are evident. You know, this whole area is well-ordered and cultivated. And you can see the figure of a, of a human. It, it just looks like a regular human from this distance, like out in a field doing field work. Okay. And doing open human things. Human things, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, I, I believe that uh, last time I had I'd left off with me telling Lance that I've never made it farther than this. Um, usually, once I start to try and cross this field, I wake up. So we're gonna have to run and hope that we make it. <laughs> and with that, I'll start running. Are you going to sprint after him, Mr. Monroe? I'll make a a shambling, poor attempt at it because <laughs> I'm I'm rather less athletic than he is. So, <clears throat> yeah, just kind of a a mildly portly man, huffing and puffing his way behind him, like okay. a locomotive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, you guys sprint across this field down towards the nearest cottage, which is where you saw this. Man at, and as you approach, you can see the architecture. Uh, the man's dress is sort of reminiscent of medieval Europe in a way. Okay, uh, you don't see that he has any modern tools out there in his field, these are all older types of farming tools. But you're, you guys pause for a moment because you see a big creature that represents or it looks like an elephant in its general outline, although it's smaller and it has you know pale skin. Uh, green skin and it does have a trunk just like an elephant would but it appears to be acting as kind of a beast of burden in this case and it has these dark liquid eyes when the farmer stops and raises his hand at the two of you it sort of looks at and regards you as well but yeah you guys have halted at this hedgerow that borders his field okay what do you want to do so i'll uh wait for lance to catch up in the meantime <laughs> i'll uh raise my hand back to the guy in, in greeting and uh, ask him, what town is this? He says, ah, hello there. Well, you're on the outskirts of Nier. You can see it down yonder. And he points down where you see this, rib uh, this ribbon 
of blue water in the uh, center of this valley. And you see a cluster of houses that is right next to it and a bridge. And that's what he pointed to when he said near. And what was the name of the town from that letter? Ulthar. Ulthar. Okay. I'll, uh, so I'll wait for Monroe to catch up and then I'll, I'll ask that question if, if he's familiar with that, that town, Ulthar. Yeah, you, uh, you just go on down to the village and then cross the bridge, and it's uh, only a short distance beyond the bridge to Ulthar. Although I've just finished up my breakfast meal, I still have some left if, you, if you'd like to. Gruel and mushrooms? Well, come on inside for a spell. I'll, uh, I'll hold up a piece of that bread and uh, say that uh, we uh, appreciate the offer, friend, as I... We have, uh, yeah, we, we brought our own and, uh, we, we really have some pressing business that we need, need to address in, in Ulthar. As, uh, maybe on the way back though, if you're still in the offering mood. Oh, okay. I see. Well, you gentlemen have a good day. It just created us an enemy in this dream world. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, uh, he, he returns to his field duties and, um, you can see this path leads on into a cluster of buildings, and then you see that bridge as you guys travel on. It's just a great stone bridge that goes across the river, and you begin to see other people and other normal like animals, you know, like dogs and whatnot, uh, but nothing, no alien-looking people. They all just appear human and slightly curious and very friendly. They wave. Give you greetings as you guys pass through. Flyers to each of them. <laughs> Just kidding. So, is there anything that anything that stands out here other than the dress and maybe the building, uh, the buildings themselves, that uh, sets it apart from something that we would see in the waking world? Well, the it just seems like a very good recreation of a feudal, you know, medieval village. Although you would expect more poverty and and uh, depression around that, if that were truly what it was, these people appear to be prosperous and happy. And aside from the weird elephant-like creature, which you see again, uh, nothing else really strikes you as odd, except for the colors are much more vibrant. As you get down to the edge of this river, it's uh, brilliantly blue, but you can see through it. It's translucent and you see like a multitude of fish swimming up and downstream. And then, of course, there's this bridge, which has these great sort of hexagonal stones from which it's constructed. And you can both give me a power roll as you approach it. Hmm. A bridge that requires a power roll. <clears throat> uh, where's nice hard success? Yeah, so you, um, so these hexagonal stones, like I said, they're huge. They're maybe six feet across at their widest points and you both hear a faint like faint scratching noise that seems to be coming from inside each of these stones as you begin to travel across it was the uh the farmers said that the the town that was named on that letter is uh just a short ways after this bridge yeah so um you can see that there are seven hills in the distance and you catch a glimmer from the sunlight, uh, you know, something reflecting off these hills, and you can pick out the uh, 
the faint shape of structures in the distance. Mr. Monroe, do you think that there's something inside of these uh, hexagonal pillars that would that's supposed to stop like the woodland creatures, or do you think it'll stop us? I don't know, but I believe that we must continue forward without being distracted in any way. Uh, <laughs> be on your guard. I'll start striding across that bridge. And as we walk, I'll, I'll be talking about the, the story that I'd read about the man who made it to the dream realm and <clears throat> passed through, what was it, seven different areas of the of the world where each one he had to answer a well, I, I believe the the phrase was answer a question that was never asked or something like oh, that okay yeah and say that if we want to reach a, our destination then we must follow that that path and that that process because that's that going to start had, me on he'd been that. steadfast how do you answer a question that's never been asked I suppose we shall have to find out if we are to reach our destination. I'm going to shout out, green! <laughs> and I wait for something to happen. Nothing oh. happens except you hear the faint scratching. Although by this time you guys are on the far side of the stone bridge. I don't know if that was the answer or not, but I mean, nothing happened yet. Well, let's continue forward and see what challenges await us. So yeah, the... Uh, these these seven hills in the distance are probably about an hour journey away on foot. And that big mountain looms off to your left as you guys are traveling to that, uh, towards that, towards Ulthar. And eventually that road, which was just packed dirt, becomes cobblestone. And you guys enter what would be like the suburbs of this area. And that's a mix of small cottages and neatly fenced farms. But eventually... You come upon the town itself, which is also on the banks of, of this river as it's looped around now. Uh, the houses here have peaked roofs and overhanging second stories. And once you get into the city proper, there are a multitude of cats. And they, while you get friendly greetings, you know, from the people, they keep their distance. But the cats aren't like that at all. They They immediately mob you guys and they're rubbing your rubbing themselves along your legs and meowing at you curiously. Uh, 17? Is 17? No. <laughs> <laughs> so one uh, of the cats no, wait, just wait. cocks its head at you and and gives 42. an inquisitive meow. As, uh, do you think it's... I'll turn to Monroe and say, do you think it's fish? Well, I think we should continue forward until something stops us from moving forward any farther and then find a way to overcome it <laughs> that's the best answer i can give if these cats try to stop us then we'll have to find a way past them otherwise i suggest I just ignore them and continue forward i'll uh, cat that scatter gun and say yeah <laughs> we'll find a way <laughs> well, i will suggest that violence is likely not the correct answer in this in this capacity Maybe that is the answer to the unasked question. Is a few, full, uh, unprovoked, violent response. Yeah. So um, the city is structured in a way that it seems to to the main road that you're on leads its way to the highest hill in the city, in which you can see a rather large temple 
atop its peak. And that seems to be the focus of the city. Now, nobody challenges you, and some people don't even look your way because you pick out, at least from your eyes, what look like people from other places. You know, they're darker skinned or their clothes are of a different fashion from the predominant style. So it seems that this city, Ulthar, is used to visitors from afar, although perhaps they do not know how far you have traveled from. But like any city, they're they're happy to leave you to your own business as you guys traverse, apparently, towards this temple. Are they, uh, I imagine there's like, uh, you know, normal business transactions happening between the townsfolk and merchants? Yes. As what are they using for money or what are they exchanging for the goods? Uh, they're using a coin. Uh, when you look over the shoulder of a person who's in the act of buying a strange piece of fruit that's orange in color, but it has, you know, a, like some sort of spiny exterior, he gives a coin with a figure on it that's emanating brilliant light on one side. You don't see the opposite side. I'm tempted to try and steal one of those, <laughs> a coin, because I'm wondering if I can make something come back with me to the waking world. I see. So what would that be, like a stealth or sleight of hand? Uh, either would work. I'd say sleight of hand's probably the better of the two, so if you go with stealth, we'll make it a hard stealth roll. Okay, I'll keep that uh, in my back pocket there. Uh, guys... The urge won't won't uh, overtake me to the point where I'm going to follow through on it just yet. Yeah, so as you guys are kind of caught in the stream of these shoppers and you're moving forward towards the temple, you can see now you get like petitioners, people going up to this temple, uh, and they're garbed in robes, and they have the air about them of, you know, like on their way to worship or perhaps make some offering. And you can now make out on the outs the exterior of this temple, there seems to be a depiction of Nasht, you know, one of the two sages that greeted you upon your entry here. Uh, and some people seem to be bowing before this image, which is just a big carved into the stone impression of the man's face. And there seems to be smoke coming from the left ear of Nasht's head, while people in a line are putting offerings in the right ear. And then around the sides of this structure there are two stairwells that lead up into the temple proper do we uh should we offer something to him well what kind of offerings are they placing in there uh you can see it's it seems to be like bits of their harvest okay so whatever kind of some you recognize you know like wheat or corn and then others are, are strange and are the people that make the offerings then going into the temple or it do people kind of bypass that that go into the temple? Some do go into the temple. Some don't even make an offering before they go into the temple, and then some turn back to the town. Okay. But he does seem to be also receiving prayers, though they're not vocal. It's just you see the act, you recognize the act of praying when it happens. Yeah. As far as guards go, there's nobody blocking entry into the temple, although there are two men standing around with spears and male shirts. And people are coming out of the temple too, I, yeah. I suppose. So, okay. <laughs> you got the right 
frame of, of mind, though, <laughs> Mr. Monroe. <laughs> good question. Yeah. It's just some sort of weird line of people offering them up for sacrifice. Yeah, I just wanted to make sure that they weren't like going in and then, you know, just like a, a river of blood coming out somewhere else. Um, so I guess Where? we could ask one of the petitioners about the temple. Okay. Suppose that would be the best way of us gaining information about it rather than just assuming or taking a guess. Okay, so yeah, you go ahead, uh, John. Where was, did you share that letter with with me last time? Or is it in the list of documents that we can pull up? Um, Yeah, I think it's in the list. I thought I saw it. Well, let's... uh, I think I found it. The Enchanted Wood, yeah. Let's switch back over to Dr. Andrew's. And we'll give you guys a moment to, to take it all in. So you've had a moment of silence to eat your food and have something to drink. And finally she breaks that silence and she says, Yes, I I am not appearing before you as a damsel in distress needing your help. I just need to, to know some way to get access to Beckett. And it seems that you don't have that, Dr. Andrews. And I don't hold that against you. This is all very strange, but... Perhaps we can just make some commitment to help each other if we come across some way to get to him or, God, I don't even know. Well, as a matter of fact, well, it's true that I don't have the answers. Um, I might know those who who do. And if their information can be put with mine, perhaps we can find an answer to this. And so give me some time to speak with my friends and see if we can find some way to reach that that place but you must know that it seems extremely unlikely that any attempt at rescue would end in failure certain death <laughs> i mean just this dark hunter which it now appears there must be more than one of required uh you know shotgun blasts from a uh, what was it a 12 gauge or whatever 12 gauge shotgun well and i'm not even sure that that killed it or if maybe it simply is immune to such effects and regenerated that's to say nothing of enormous frogs eating people and <laughs> well i have difficulty imagining my, my life is like bereft of beckett we had both promised to marry after our studies were complete and in this you sort of recognize uh an age disparity between the two of you where yeah. you sort of recognize that, that young love yeah. yearning, but mm-hmm. you're on the other side of a lot of grief and, and more life. So there's really nothing that can be done to talk her out of it. And, yeah. I wouldn't you know. try. <laughs> yes. But I, I, uh, so it I, seems that the, to me, the risk is worth it. And that's why I'm not, appealing to you to do something on my behalf but to give me the means to do it on my own well uh, let me let me see what answers i can find well thank you but until then uh, i need more information from you namely um if you can find out the name of the professor that um william murrow jr had the argument with yeah i can do that um what was the other questions we wanted um, I can't remember. Let's see. I know we had some questions about um, one of their fathers. It's one of 
something something junior yeah Murrow Be- or uh, William Murrow Jr. Yeah. And his father would be um the crime lord. Yeah. Um the acquaintance of the crime lord. His yeah. godfather is uh, Yeah. And then his father was a lord. member of the Church of Contemplation. Right. That had been shut down. Although personally I'm convinced that William Murrow Jr. is actually his father just having been reduced in age through one of the rituals. Oh yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, I mean, it doesn't, but <laughs> but it does. <laughs> but I might be getting paranoid from playing this game too much. <laughs> so are you kind of thinking out loud about William Murrow Jr. here and, and sort of laying out these connections? Yeah. Well, she says, Yeah, because we had the um, um, ba- uh, Bowers, when Dr. Call was having the conversation with him, Bowers had said Murrow, but... But we didn't know if he was talking about Beckett or Murrow her Jr. boyfriend or or Murrow Jr. <clears throat> well, I don't have a favorable opinion of him. As I said, he he's quiet, but there's something unsettling about him, and I've caught him, you know, staring at me, which is not entirely unusual. But there was something that left me unsettled by his gaze. I did once with Beckett go to his mother's estate outside of Boston. For a lunch, but it was just a big crambling house with a an old widow in it. You know, it was... who is his mother? Oh, I... did you meet her briefly? Yeah, uh, her name was Katie, I believe. Hmm. But she, let's see, what do I recall of the woman? She had that. She was obviously very religious. She had much in the way of crosses in her home, and she had that kind of religious conviction that you almost can't look at directly if you know what I mean. It's once they begin talking you find yourself averting your eyes or looking at any other thing than what they're saying. So mm-hmm. which was most of what the conversation at lunch was was us dutifully attending to her sermon, as it were. As to the com content of her sermon, it all seemed in line with every other Christian ceremony I've attended. There was nothing unusual in that regard. The relationship between Murrow and his mother seemed somewhat strained, I would say. Mm. Like he had been, like he was perpetually a naughty boy and not living up to her expectations. I don't know if any of this is helpful, but... If if your boyfriend and his friends, this Porcelain Finals Club, were... um, Who would generally... Be agreed to be the leader. See, I had a tough time picking that up. I would say it seemed the most disagreement was between Beckett and William Murrow mm-hmm. as to who was they kind of directing what was going to be done. Locked know? horns, huh? Yes. Let's see. But they also did have a deep bond uh, beyond all the, the infighting, I guess. Everybody else was below in the pecking order, I would say. Although I find the ways... Men organize themselves to be strange to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so uh, see if you can find out who the professor was that he had an argument with. Yeah, send the telegram to the usual place. Yes, please, and I will. I, I will tell you whatever answer I'm able to find, and if possible, I'll join you in this endeavor. Well, I appreciate it, Doctor Andrews. You have no idea what it means to me. 
when you can literally turn to no one else to describe what has happened. It uh, gives me comfort to know there's one person out there who at least knows something. But have a good day. And she departs, leaving you with the bill. Man. <laughs> Kids. All right. <laughs> there's no such thing as Dutch in the 1920s. Sorry. Uh, so what would you... Uh, so with at the conclusion of that meeting, Dr. Andrews, what would you like to do next? Yeah, so... You know, that hasn't changed much as far as my my primary objective. We were we were working on finding somebody else to take the fall for this murder. Yeah, and it come down to Wallace Bowers and you seem to have gotten approval. Yeah. By the consortium. The only wrinkle that had turned up is that it appeared there were documents that would attest that he had been committed prior to yeah. the supposed murder yeah. date and time of Mr. Dooley. So if you like to stick with that individual then that would have to be dealt with in some way right and i know we were going to talk with um whitmore about you know i don't know sneaking into the place and altering records or whatever and then we had received an offer um to let charlie go down for it but for second degree and and right and life in the mental hospital right right that's a plea bargain that the prosecution is supposed to put forward here soon. Yeah. Yeah. And I had been wondering if that might not actually be what ended up being the best for him in the long run, but now I've changed my mind. And so it's kind of <laughs> ironic that he's talking about changing his mind because Lance had been reconsidering, you know, his position that absolutely not yeah. in taking the plea deal. <laughs> So, uh, I guess now I've just got to try and catch up with Whitmire and Monroe. Okay. Because with they're going to have more knowledge than me, or at least Monroe's going to have more knowledge than me about uh, Zagua and, uh, you know, right? Right, yeah. I mean, that's the sense I get. So, I would try to meet up with them somehow, uh, send a telegram, go to their hotel, whatever. Right, yeah. You. I guess the... Uh First thing to do is always to check at the museum. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Where so. his uh, help has, it can only mention that he had left with Mr. Whitmire like a little while ago. I'm not sure if you guys left any information as to where you could be found from that point. I think we had decided that we were going to uh, test the uh, Dreamcastle tobacco. And so I probably would have left message with her on that we would be found at uh mr whitmire's um safe house or wherever he was staying at the time okay so yeah then you get you get that information and which just gives you an address somewhere in south boston yeah and you take the local transportation there and this address ends up being an unused uh factory of some kind okay that's awaiting you know to be leased and you're standing outside the gate sort of <laughs> wondering where it's going to be and you uh, will give me a spot hidden roll. Okay. So, yeah, you see a boy. In fact, you recognize him. You think his name was Ethan. He's sort of got half of his face peering around the corner of one of these buildings. Yeah, this was one of the knights of... Yeah, the great knights. The great knights, yeah. And he's looking at you and you're looking at him. And it seems clear to both of you that you see each other. But for some reason, he's staying hidden with half his face on, on the corner of this wall. He's not hailing you or anything like that. He's just watching you. Ahoy there, young man. 
come talk with me. I'm looking <laughs> for my friends. Have you seen them? So you hear a bird call echo across the uh, abandoned factory site. And then he comes around the corner and up to the other side of that gate. He has a very suspicious look on his face when he looks you over. Oh, come now. Surely you remember me. Dr. Andrews, we met at the vacant lot. I do remember you. Yes. What are you doing here? Well, I've come to meet uh, Jimmy and Lance. They're in here waiting for me. They didn't say anything about that. They're forgetful. (laughs) Now open the gate. Come on now. Hold on a sec. I got to check with Bill. I'll pull my shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. <laughs> so he runs off a ways and then he comes back with Bill, you know, the oldest of the three brothers. Yeah. And Bill's also has a, sp- a suspicious look. And he said, now, Mr. Whitmire said that nobody would be here. And if they were here, that they shouldn't be. Yes. But <laughs> do you remember how when we met up and then we were uh, talking about the the basement under the lot? And then Lance and I went down there, and when we came up, Whitmire just showed up out of the blue. <laughs> this is this is the way our our friendship works. <laughs> so they won't be disappointed to find me here. Now come, open this gate so I can go talk to them. For one thing, they mean to smoke Dreamcastle tobacco in there, and I have the Dreamcastle tobacco. <laughs> so. Really? <laughs> yeah. Oh. Uh, we you thought that it was in my trunk. So what did we smoke then? <laughs> uh oh. <laughs> He's like, well, uh... so is this what? What is the gate locked? Or... Yeah. Okay. He's like, uh, I don't know. I feel like there's some uh, token you could offer, <laughs> a way of me knowing for sure who you are. Yeah. Yeah. I get where you're going there, and so. <laughs> Pull out a dollar. (laughs) He's like, thanks, mister. And he opens the gate. He's like, so he's back here in the outbuilding. I guess they're taking a nap or something. You old folks are weird. (laughs) So what's going on? Uh, So I'll look at him and I'll say, you've made a huge mistake. I've come to kill them. (laughs) And then you're next. And Uh, then he turns into the dark hunter. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, his uh, hand... You see him, he goes to his pocket and he, he just has like a regular old uh, pocket knife that he pulls out and he's like fumbling at it. <laughs> just kidding. And I'll ruffle his hair like you do to kids that annoys the <laughs> heck out of him. You know? Yeah, so he ducks his head away after a moment. He's like, ah, don't do that. I have it styled how I want. <laughs> <laughs> and your hand comes away all greasy. Greasy, yeah. Get out of here, you greaser punk. <laughs> <In life. laughs> So, yeah, so they're back there in this little building. Uh, I hadn't heard anything from inside. We haven't seen anybody else but you. All right. Well, close the gate, and nobody else should show up. And if they do, they what? shouldn't. Now, do you mean nobody? Like I mean nobody. Nobody, nobody? With one exception. <laughs> if you see a giant guy carrying a shotgun who can't talk, stay out of his way. Okay. Will do. All right. So, yeah, they get back to their watch, and you on your way to this outbuilding, you pass... Uh, Simon, who's got a little hopscotch <clears throat> chalked out on the mm-hmm. the pavement, he's doing that. He doesn't even notice your passage. Yeah, I'll I'll hum the pie man song as I go by. Yeah, and that gets him going on it. He wasn't currently doing it, but yeah, he starts on it, and Bill's like, "Thanks." <laughs> <laughs> and you go in the, into the outbuilding, and you see 
Mr. Whitmire and Mr. Monroe sleeping there. So while you're looking at the sleeping forms of Mr. Monroe and Mr. Whitmire will bounce back over to them in their the dreamlands that they wander around in the city of Ulthar, standing before this great temple. You guys are looking around, wondering which of the petitioners will most likely answer any questions you pose. What what do you favor, man or woman, Mr. Monroe? Hmm. I think I'd favor someone that looks like a common laborer of sorts. Okay. And that seems like just an average everyday person, not not like robes or or okay. royalty or anything. Someone like still wearing the clothes they might wear in the field. Yeah. Yeah. So you see what you assume to be a middle-aged farm wife who's come bearing a few uh, standard sort of bits of produce. So she has some cuttings of wheat that she's waiting in line to offer that you approach. Okay. I'll, I'll approach by saying, my good woman, uh, we are pilgrims from a dis- distant land and, uh, we were wondering about this temple and, and this uh, man you worship. Oh, or, yes, this is Nasht, and this is the Temple of the Elder Gods. The Temple of the Elder Gods. Uh, I'm afraid I'm a little unfamiliar with, with them. Well, there are seven in total, and there are shrines to each inside. Our, our uh, pilgrim- Nasht is favored here because he's believed to watch over Ulthar. And are all pilgrims welcome in the temple? Of course. Is an offering required or? Some just come to pray. Okay. Are there, there are priests in Ash inside that may be able to answer questions that we have? Yes. Well, thank you very much, good woman. I, <laughs> I appreciate your candor and I wish you the best of luck in your day and, and your worship. Thank you. And she offers you like a, a, a curtsy. No. Give a small bow and yeah. So you take a step back towards Whitmire. Yeah, and I'll, I'll kind of look at him and say, "Temple's open to all. Apparently, it's uh, to the elder gods. I, I, it seems as if this noshed man that we met on our first arrival is one of these elder gods and is the uh, protectorate of of Ulthar. Yeah, and um, there was nothing about noshed or common thaw that would give you the the thought of a god when you met them. They just look like ordinary aged men. Well, I mean, the circumstances, you might think they could be a deity as they were in a cavern with a suspended flame in the center column of flame. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. So what what is your guys' next move? Well, should we enter the temple and see what information we can find out about these elder gods and this realm that we happen to be in? Yeah, I think it would be a good starting point. It may be nice to, uh, visit each of the seven temples. She seemed to mention that each of the elder gods has some sort of a realm that he watches over, or at least that there are temples to each of them. They all have shrines inside oh, the temple. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. They all have shrines inside. So perhaps we can find some information on each of them. Okay. Yeah. Let's head in. Yeah. So this, when you guys walk in, it, it has a hushed atmosphere, like a library or a church for that matter. And, there you see it's kind of arranged so that every one of these shrines has a roughly the same representation as far as space goes. But you have a few different figures here. You have one that you saw on the coin, Whitmire, so that's a figure emanating brilliant light. Uh, another one is depicts, and these are statues, by the way, amidst these shrines. 
depicts a smiling man who's naked from the waist up and he's encircled by blazing flames. Another one is a man with jet black skin and silver pupilless eyes riding a lion. So these statues are painted to, to depict these cut colors. Yet another one depicts a gray-bearded and hoary man. Now there's something familiar to both of you about this figure, although you can't quite put your finger on it. And over there we have a figure with silver skin and coal black hair holding a staff of lapis lazuli. That's actually differentiated in his stone statue. Hmm. And, and do we see common thaw in there as well? No, you don't, actually. Oh. You see, Maybe uh, he has his own. <laughs> you see a, a statue of a tall, slender man with bone-white hair and skin clothed in a robe of black satin. And finally, you have a beautiful woman dressed in long flowing robes, wearing a Greek-style helmet and carrying a spear and shield. Now, you both may give me a cult or archaeology, even anthropology would work, whichever those skills you favor. Said a, a cult, anthropology, wow. or what other one? Archaeology. Mm. They should have gone with the cult. cult but is probably going to be was, my best option. Yeah, I was going to fail that no matter what. Yeah. Well, Mr. Monroe, you know, having looked at many different archaeological sites, that you can, even though they'll have different deities, you can sometimes pick up um, similarities between different groups, even though they're they never had contact with each other. Although you're having trouble doing so, doing so now, you know, like for example, some culture might worship a, a figure as the embodiment of truth or as like a fire god. Uh, you're having a difficult time determining which of these deities would represent those sorts of things. They are mm. quite strange to you and your way of thinking. Yeah, they don't kind of fit the elementalistic yeah form of a pantheon. Although there is. You do wonder if these are sort of corrupted versions of, say, the Greek pantheon, or maybe the yeah. Greek pantheon are corrupted versions of... Like of the, the one with this spear right. and shield could be like Ares or something along those lines. or. But then one of the other figures seems to have no bearing in Greek culture whatsoever, so it's very difficult for you to nail down. and Or, you know, perhaps even one of each of these gods represents a different you know, base deity from different culture and something along those lines. Right. So you see some priests uh, attending to all of this stuff. They seem to be keeping incense lit at each of the shrines. But what most catches your eye is a, a man comes out of an adjacent room wearing like khaki pants and just a white linen shirt. And he has a trilby hat perched on top of his head. And he seems like shocked to see you guys, particularly Mr. Whitmire, because his dress is more in the in the style that you guys would wear in the 1920s, whereas you I'm wearing, <laughs> are yeah, an like Egyptian a, poser. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he, he's most shocked to see Whitmire. So you see that sort of verbal alarm, not like he's going to turn around and flee, but just like he wasn't expecting to see Somebody who looked like Mr. Whitmire there. You see that as well, Mr. Whitmire. And okay. he has a, a pencil. You can see it poking out from the from one of his ears where it's tucked behind his ear. As I'm going to I'm gonna ask him if uh, if he is a friend of a friend. I know it's gonna sound weird, but Yeah, it, he kinda gives a half smile and he says, I suppose I am. Uh, Robert Ramsden is the name. 
And you are? James oh. Whitmire. And I'll extend my hand. So yeah, happy so, to meet you. So he shakes it. And there's something grounding about interacting with him, you know, like before your journey up to Ulthar, you, you guys, it was very hazy and dreamlike because there were, there were things that were familiar yet strangely different. But here, this seems to be rooted in the reality that you guys are most familiar with. But yeah, he says, Robert Ramsden is my name. How is our friend of a friend doing these days? Well, unfortunately, I've uh, I found this on a tree outside of the uh, enchanted wood, and I'll pull out that letter and give it to him. Oh, yeah, Nicholas. He came through a while back, but he left a few months ago. Oh, well, that's kind of a relief because I found uh, what looked like his his kit there as well, and uh, I didn't didn't know if the enchanted woods had gotten the better of him or not as what uh so what can you tell me about this place is i know that it's a dream but i mean uh, i'm not sure exactly what we're supposed to be doing here well i am can only tell you what i think about this place the people who are from here well, they have very much the viewpoint you would have if somebody showed up and started asking them basic questions about, say, like the laws of physics or why that animal looks that way or this and that. You know, they're just politely confused. But my theory is, well, today I take Plato's view on knowledge, and that, that is that all knowledge is somehow remembered. Do you follow me, Mr. Whitmire? Yes. So... What I think, and this is completely baseless and speculative, <laughs> is that we're each a sensor somehow outside of uh, a collective unconscious that we occasionally receive signals. It's purely hypothetical. Uh, these people can't describe it to me. They can just give me their myths and legends, which don't do well to my mind in answering anything. But in any case, I just think this because I think the nature of receiving ideas is rather odd. Wouldn't you agree? I will sit there banging away at my typewriter and then, uh, you know, mostly churning out inadequate descriptions of things, and then bang, an idea will pop into my head, and it doesn't feel like it came from within. It feels like it came from without, and this, I think, could be the place where that comes from. This is a place where myth seems to walk. Now, that name had been kind of tugging at my memory. Is that the name of the author that wrote the um, Women from Mars, the 50-foot Women from Mars? No, but it, you do know it was in the note written by uh, Rupert Merriweather that fell out of the Liber Ivanus. Okay. This is apparently the author who had found the gate to deeper slumber and planned to kill himself and go there for all time. Okay. So I will um, ask him if he had abandoned the waking world in favor of this one, or if he continues to exist there as well. No, I fear that I'm quite dead. Hmm. <laughs> and <laughs> I guess. I mean, I don't know. Am I publishing books still? I, I, I he, haven't. He just, lists off a few titles that I suppose with an extreme education role, you might have read them. I'll give it a shot, though, with how I'm rolling. Nope. Once again, not even close. So, no, I'm, I'm apparently extremely distracted by this world. <laughs> well, the titles, they do evoke the kind of, you know, pulp titles that you might see in the pulp magazines. So Okay. That might make sense why you're not familiar with it. 
could be too lowbrow for your self-image. Not occult <laughs> enough. Right, yeah. So, yeah, so he, are, uh, or is he saying, or I'm going to ask him, are you saying that if you die, you come here? Well, no, I don't think so at all. I think most people that die, if you're following my theory, just return to an unconscious state back into the ether. Then what did you do to bind yourself here? Well, I imagine something similar as to what you did. I I made a special potion that I drank, and then I stabbed myself with a dagger in the heart. Well, I, we haven't done anything I quite just as went severe to as that. Sleep. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> we are temporary explorers, as it were. Um, oh, have goodness. found uh, a way through the gate of sleep that allows us passage back. Well, now I feel quite terrible for my wife that I left a widow. <laughs> well, um, if you would like, I suppose I could drop a message to her. No, I don't. Um, I don't think you should trouble with trouble her with that. That would probably just complicate matters. Well, but when I asked about my friend of, or a friend of a friend, I was uh, asking about Mister Merriweather, of course. Yes, he's um, doing well. Um, I actually recently found a, a message to you that he had left in a, uh, a book that had been found at uh, the university. A rather dangerous tome. Yes, he had found me years back, but um, he ran into some trouble here, and I have not seen him since. What kind of trouble did he run into here? I'm not entirely certain. He went to Mount Lyrion, that great peak you can see when you walk out here, and uh, he never returned. Uh, Uh, To I I understand that's where Nicholas left, too. So where, or when was the last time we'd seen Meriwether in the waking world? June 12th. And it is the 16th right now? 17th. 17th? Okay. I'll I'll ask uh, him if he knows, do you know, can you count the passage of time here uh, in, as opposed to the normal world or waking world? I don't think they have a correlation to one another. Hmm. Of course, I can't say for certain. uh, Yeah, yeah, about... (laughs) He never went back. (laughs) A few, uh, about... You know, four days ago was the last time that we saw him in the waking world. He was going out of, or outside the, he was traveling, is what we were told. But I guess if he came here, who knows if he's still here or not. I can't say for certain. I know there are rumors of other travelers that come from the Enchanted Wood who do not take appropriate caution. and, And they die here, as it appears, you know, we died back where we came from. And what about not seen uh, again? Father, is he here? I'm not certain who you're referring to. Uh, he's referring to a, a, a being that may be considered a god. That uh, uh, what was the term that they called him? The father of worms, or he had been mentioned in in several uh, occult traditions, and uh, that we had associated with this area. And uh, Mr. Whitmire said he found a a large chamber or a hill or some sort that had binding runes on them in Aklo that uh, we believe we had seen on the tomb in the waking world that had bound this ancient being on earth. I do know the area of which you speak. I do not know of any any god by which you speak. I do know that that area is binding something or it's a, a ward 
perhaps between a, a different place. I'm not certain. They, much like back on Earth, I guess, the gods here don't seem to be here. Their stories say that they left at some distant time in the past. Of course, they say on Mount Lyrian, the gods sometimes return to play during the night before the, the dawn. Well, on our way in, we met Nosht. Yes, but I'm not certain if he's a god. True. Um, when I spoke to a woman outside, she had mentioned that there were seven deities, and I had somewhat expected to see the other man that we had, had met on our entrance, uh, Common Thaw. And I, I see him nowhere among the pantheon in, in this temple. Well, according to the myth, they see Common Thaw and Nosh as the same person, or a kind of uh, father and son situation. One's the avatar, one's the god, but the, the avatar's same. missing as well, apparently. Hmm. Yeah, it's uh, difficult for my mind to track. You know, I grew up in a good Christian upbringing, so to get outside of that is, is quite a leap of imagination. One in which my imagination does not often run. You know, I'm more concerned with dark places and secret cults that daring men must enter and uh, and dispense with. You know, <laughs> you're a man after my own heart. And so, to who are the gods I... here? Oh well, yeah. You can see he points to the figure emanating brilliant light, and he says, "This is Ariel. He is the embodiment of truth, according to the people." The smiling man naked from the waist up, he says, this is Karakal. I don't know what they worship him for. He's kind of like a sun god, a fire god. They give thanks for warmth. Uh, to the jet black skin and silver pupilless eyes riding the lion, he says, this is Noth or Thoth. And I, I don't quite understand his place in the pantheon. The gray bearded man is Nodens, uh, the man with silver skin and the Staff of Lapis Lazuli is Tamash. The man with bone-white hair and a robe of black satin is Zokalar. I think he's uh, the dichotomy of life and death for the people in Ulthar. He represents both. And then the beautiful woman here is Nitsi Kambal. She's a war god, near as I can tell. Of course, these are all comparisons, and they don't actually get to the depth of the relationship that the people in Ulthar and elsewhere have with these. But they left to unknown Kadath in times past and have not returned. Except, as they say, perhaps to play on Mount Lyrian. Do you know why Mr. Merriweather went to that peak? He said he had been getting visions when he left those years ago about some impending cataclysm, but I'm afraid he was, what's the word, reserved, as if you guys truly know him, he has a tendency to be. You wouldn't divulge more than that. In an infuriating that, fashion, yes. <laughs> Do you I've, know why he sent Nicholas then? I don't know if he sent Nicholas up here. I hadn't seen Merriweather since before the, Nicholas appeared. Nicholas just left one morning. Do you know why he was here, though? No, he didn't seem to understand how he had come to be here. He was, he was confused. Uh, his arrival came out of a moment of violence, and he appeared to have some block on remembering his time before his arrival here. Hmm. Okay. Robert, one one question. Have you, in your time here, heard of a, a place called Irem, or perhaps a sorcerer 
by the name of Colthal Gimmin. I have heard of Irem. It's supposed to be somewhere back in the Middle East, in the empty quarter, but it's a fabled city thought not to exist. I, I came about it in a very mundane way, just researching my next novel. Hmm. I thought about setting it as the, uh, the set piece for my finale, but the details of its existence were scarce, and I went in a different direction. And you, you've had uh, no hinting of it here in the dream world? No, hmm. I have not. Although they do have, you know, libraries here, if one's so inclined. Truly? Yes. Uh, scattered around the city, there are quite a few. But I'm actually going to pause us here so we can go back to Dr. Andrews. So yeah, you uh, are standing at these two sleeping individuals, Dr. Andrews. What did you want to do? All right. Well, just because I can't help myself, I'll, you know, take their pulse and make sure that they're... <laughs> alive. Alive and, um, you know, sleeping peacefully. Yes, they appear to be in good health. What, how have they said? What does this room look like? <clears throat> so it's very sparsely um, decorated. It's empty aside from he has a few containers with water and some non-perishable foodstuffs. And then they ha- they are resting on two cots, you know. Oh, okay. Knowing Whitmire, this, he has made allusions to laying low on occasion. And this looks like one of those places, just a little bolt hole where he can go where nobody knows where he might be. Right. And this is like a, an old abandoned factory, you said? Yeah. yeah. They're out in an outbuilding here. So, okay. An outbuilding. And is there other rooms? Or is this no, just it's just a... one room. It's, okay. It's really like a overgrown shed in like a way. Like a big shed. <clears throat> All right. All right. So I take their vitals, right? And they pe- seem to be sleeping healthfully and peacefully. Yes. And what's the temperature like in here? Uh, it's pretty warm okay. because there's no air conditioning, but it's not unforgivable, you know. Okay. If you took a nap in here, you'd probably sleep for five hours. <laughs> <laughs> That's the level of warmth. I'd wake up and wish you were dead. <laughs> right. like, why, why do I still live? Um, but you can see that uh, Mr. Monroe had a book next to him by Sigmund Freud on dreams and their interpretation. Hmm. And Mr. Whitmire had tucked away an odd book where the cover's actually torn off, but you can see on the binding, it's it says Nameless Colts. Hmm. Okay. Um, and evidence that they had recently smoked Dreamcastle tobacco. Right, yeah. Okay, well, um, I'll, uh, I'll go find... Now, Bill was the oldest kid? That was his name? Yes. I'll go find him and ask him how long they've been in there. Yeah, I think it's been... No more than 30 minutes. Okay. Um, all right. So if that's the case, they just went to sleep. Uh, and the dream castle, you know, shows they did it on purpose because they're delving into that, which I wanted to do myself. But <clears throat> I don't want to wake them up. Okay. It's not an emergency that we wake them up. So I'll just... Um, Take a couple hits and join us. No. Like, because that... Like, he wouldn't know that that's possible or likely right yeah. like and there might be something about you having to sleep at the same time you know so i'll just go sit down in there and keep watching i'll read um i'll keep reading that book um the one i was reading the book of abra Mellon. oh okay 
I'll just pull that out of my jacket and, and read start that. reading. Wait for them to wake up. Because what time is it? Uh, so now it'd probably be like two, two-ish. In the maybe. afternoon? Yeah. Yeah, so it's too early to go to bed anyway. So Okay, well, on that note, you did stay up all night, I could say. Yeah, you did watch over me. Watching over me. That's right, I did, yeah. And uh, <laughs> when you settle down to read, you do start nodding off a little bit, especially being in the warm shed. Yeah, but I'll, I'll actually be aware of, of that. So I'll situate myself in a way such that if I do not off, I'll not wake up with like a kink in my neck yeah. or, you know, my arm falling off or whatever. But yeah. Well, I'll say that you will not off unless you want to take some specific action to stay awake. No. Okay. No. All right. Well, as you not off, go ahead and give me a power roll. Oh, <laughs> uh, I've never done that before. So. <laughs> It's in your characteristics. I have failed. Okay. Do you have Whisper on? Yes. I do? Oh, 2GM, yeah. Okay. I, I was wondering why. Sorry you... about that. Yeah, I got a 70 versus a 60, so. Fuck. Mm. Can you luck a power roll? Yeah. I'll do it. I'll okay. spend 10 power or lucks on it. All right. So you find yourself in a particularly vivid dream. You do have, when you get there, you do have some memories of other dreams, but... You are standing out in a field. How well, how well traveled is Dr. Andrews in the United States? Well, uh, not well. Probably more than the average citizen, because because um, I know you have some connection to Montana. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, um, yeah. Where did I put it? Yeah. So born in Helena, Montana, and then medical school in Boston, and then Peru, and. Probably did a lot of traveling to around New England to different seminars and things like that. Also. Right. So, yeah. So you've taken bad. those trains cross country mm -hmm. from the East Coast back. So you you have a good idea that you're somewhere in the Midwest, uh, although not specifically where you just get that sense about it. You've at least seen it out of your train window as you traveled cross country. Mm -hmm. um, and ahead of you, about 50 yards ahead of you, is a, a metal windmill that's sort of turning and squilling lazily in the uh, the light wind that blows across this plane. But beyond that, you can see a mound that looks just like a hill, except that you have heard your companions talk about it as a burial mound, probably. I think there's been some discussion about this phenomenon. Yeah, I have a tendency to ramble yeah. without caring who's listening. Yeah. So some of those snippets of Monroe's yeah. lecturing come back. Yeah, I've I've heard about this dream a lot, actually. So you know that yeah. if you go Nicholas inside that his mound, wife. Yeah. yeah, yeah, there's there is apparently some entry into a subterranean place. You, if you recall it correctly, there was some indication that it was a place that serpent folk, at least as that's how they appear in their depictions on the wall, fled from early humans. Yeah. So, yes, that's where you are. Because of your successful power role, you have a, a lucid sense of this dream. It feels just like being awake. All right. And I'm, like, outside of the mound? You're about 100 yards distant from it. Yeah, I'm going to just I'll walk towards it. Okay. So, yeah, you stand at the base, and there you see a low opening that uh, leads in and down into the mound. Although it's dark inside, you can't see anything from the outside. Uh... And you do see a big radio tower, even further distant than that. The land kind of gives way into... An, a, a valley's not quite right, but it does drop away 
say like 100 feet into a basin. And it's within this basin that you see this tall radio tower. And that's away from the burial mound? Yeah. That's, yeah. It's far distant. You would think miles. You can just see it because the terrain's so open out here. Yeah, but that really is going to pique my interest with us being speaking with Murrow Beckett through the radio. Right? Yeah. Like that's on my mind. So I'll just like, like I'll look up and see it and then turn, you know, without even a hesitation, I'll just turn towards it and head that way. Okay. So it's uh, quite a walk. Like I said, it's miles. So it's, you know, you're getting, you're pushing beyond an hour. Although you don't seem to flag in the same way as, as you do in the real world. But you do become kind of mentally tired. Maybe it's the lack of diversity in the terrain. But as you approach this radio tower, you see there's a building of modern construction at its base that is fenced in. You'd say it it couldn't have been constructed much beyond five years. Within the last five years is where you place it. It has that kind of appearance to it. You know, there's not much art in its construction. It seems to be purely for some function. But it's fenced in and... You don't see an opening from the angle you're at. Perhaps on the other side, there might be a gate, although it wouldn't be impossible to scale the fence. You said it doesn't have a gate? Not from your side of it. All right. So the building might be blocking the gate. And how tall is this building? Uh, 20 feet. You think it's just one level? One level building? Okay. And then the radio tower stands on your side of it, which has another gate surrounding it. And at the base, because this radio tower is so tall, it's probably 30 feet across at its supports. Okay. And there's, you've become aware of that sense of electricity, mm. you know, somewhere in your chest or maybe your, your ears. You're not quite sure how you pick up on it, but the air just is slightly vibrating, it seems like. Mm-hmm. All right. <clears throat> All right. So I'll just start making a circuit around the, you know, the fence of the building and see if there's a gate on some side of it. Yeah, there is. You do, when you come around, you do see there's a wide gate, uh, big enough that vehicles could get in, and it is secured with a sturdy padlock, dial lock. Okay. Although, as you've made this circuit, you don't seem to see anybody on the grounds itself. Although, you do see there there is a truck parked underneath uh, just a structure, just like a little garage, I suppose, right? It's parked in there. Awning or something? Yeah. All right. All right, so what kind of details can I make out of the truck? Is it a a familiar truck? Does it have a license plate? It's a newer model. It does have a license plate. And do I see evidence on the ground that vehicles do use this? Yeah, you see a well-worn, I suppose, path for where the truck tires would come out of this awning and, and through the gate onto wherever it goes. And you can see that the building itself is windowless. Yeah, I was going to ask that there are a few single door entries. Mm -hmm. There's one just opposite the gate on the interior. And then there was one on the backside near the radio tower. All right. So, yeah. So I'll stand in front of this gate and it's it's locked with a sturdy padlock and what, like a chain? Right. Yeah. I'll shout, you know, I'll call out, (laughs) hello. (laughs) All right. Hello, in the building. So, yeah, your voice echoes out across the installation, and 
you listen for it to fade to silence. You know, the echo mm-hmm. disperses, but nobody seems to respond to it. But I hear an echo. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's okay. <clears throat> all right. So out of all the times that everyone else has been in this dream, no one thought to go that direction. I think only Mr. Mueller clambered to the, or was it you who clambered to the top and saw the radio tower? One of you guys did in a past episode. Of course, that could have been like 15 episodes yeah. ago. I don't know if it was me or if it was Johan. I think it might have been Johan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, But there is an echo, right, which the terrain doesn't seem to support, which reminds you, again, that you're in a dream, which you didn't really lose. You know, I said you're, you're aware that you're in a dream of some kind. Okay. So, yeah, once I've given it a reasonable amount of time uh, and no one answers me, then I'll, I'll, I'll look to climbing the fence okay is it what does it have like barbed wire on the top or no there's nothing like that it's it's just tall you know like maybe 12 feet so first before i start climbing though um i'll see if you know if the chain is wrapped loosely enough that i can okay yeah give me a luck roll pull the gate open enough to squeeze through so it's secured enough that not even a person could make their way through the cap okay. maybe a child but yeah you're just too big to get through it all right no no help for it but to climb so I'll spit on my palms and <laughs> it's pretty easy it doesn't seem it might have been put up just to keep animals from wandering onto the grounds or something like that but right there are plenty of handholds and footholds and ways to scale it so i'll just have you make a climb check to see if you fumble it in some fashion and you don't so yeah you get you get over and now you're on the interior of these grounds and you look ar- look around and nothing has changed from when you were on the outside of the fence. But directly ahead of you, some 40 feet would be one of the doors that enter into the installation. Okay. Well, first I want to go check that truck out. Okay. I'm going to walk over there, you know, look in the windows and um, like see if I can get a sense. You know, sometimes you can tell if a, if a, a vehicle's been parked in one place for a really long time it doesn't have the sense of a derelict in fact you can see the key is just dangling in there where it goes to to set up so you can hit the work the crank and get it started Mm -hmm. it has a kind of a canopy over the the bed so you can't see what's in the back there it does appear to have a sense of being well used as you see the depression of where somebody might sit okay in the seat yeah and there's a few little bits of debris, you know, like, uh, not debris, but, you know, there'd be like coffee thermos yeah. in there, a metal coffee thermos and things of that nature. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I'll look in there and, um, you know, once I've got the sense, you know, that it's a used vehicle, I'll keep an eye out, uh, but I'll head to the door. Okay. And try it. So it swings open. And it's a heavy metal door, although you're not cer- certain which metal it is, but maybe that's just your ignorance. But inside, uh, it's all very modern looking. You can see you immediately enter a hallway that has a series of doors on either side. And at the end, there is yet another door. Your guess would be the door that exits near the radio tower on the back side of the building. Okay. Well... You know, if there's a single vehicle, and I don't see signs of any other people, I'm assuming there, there's there's just going to be like one 
person in here and the gate was locked. So I don't want to surprise anybody. And, you know, you know, so I'll call out, you know, hello. And I'll start, you know, closest door, I'll knock on it. And, you know. Yeah. You don't get a response. You, in fact, you have some sort of sense that the place is empty. Okay. Because who else would be in your dream with you? Right. But you do hear after your voice fades again, you hear some odd noises, you know, clicks and a soft humming coming from the door that you tried. And when you open it, you see, not unlike the radio room that you saw in the University of Massachusetts, Mm -hmm. where it has all this gear set up on tables and you have like a microphone sat before a chair and there are bits of paper filed here and there. But it's way more sophisticated than the one you saw there. There's blinking lights on the consoles and Mm -hmm. it's like the radios that you saw the ones you see in here would be like 10 years beyond what they had in that room. But let's pause on you for a moment and we'll return back to okay. Mr. Whitmire and Mr. Monroe. All right. So, yeah, I believe you guys were asking about Nicholas. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I guess there are kind of two things on my mind. One is like, where are these libraries that I can look into? And second is, um, Where's the path that leads to the, uh, uh, what is it called? The the mountain or whatever that Mr. Merriweather went to. Oh, okay. Um, I swear I wrote it down. Mount Lyrian. Oh. There it is. Yep. As my request is uh, if he has any, <clears throat> any information on, uh, any additional information on manipulating this dream world. Okay. Yeah, we can start with Whitmire's question then. Yes, I uh, I had quite the ability to do that when I first got here, but it seems to have fade, faded with my time spent here. So when he describes it like how he would do it, he kind of illuminates something else for you, Whitmire. You get the sense that the shotgun you created will only basically last for the duration of this journey here, and that the next time you come, it will be gone. But he said... He had actually, when he first got here, manifested his wife, but permanently, although she has since gone on to to do other things. (laughs) 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 There was something weird about it. You know, it was, um, we don't realize how much of what we remember about a person is is just us, and it's not actually the true person. You know, I, I realized after a few short weeks of trying to live as I did back on in, in my hometown with my wife that it just didn't really, it wasn't the same. I hadn't created my wife. I'd created some version of her. It was quite unsettling in a way. I mean, she wasn't violent or anything like that. It was, it was just not the person I knew. But after my attempt to do that, because you see, I had to do it in my dreams. That's the only sort of flaw in my theory, Mr. Monroe, is I still dream here. So I don't have an answer as to what, if this place is the place of dreams, it appears not to be. But anyhow, I uh, created her over many nights of dreaming. And when I came out of that dream and she was here, my ability to alter the dream had gone. I felt that I had been diminished in some way after that attempt permanently. But But she's still here. I'm sure she's traveled off to parts unknown. I'm sure she is still well. uh, You created life. And for what it's worth here, uh, and that's got to take something out of you. Although, 
And uh, I want to give him a small piece of that mana and uh, see if if that uh, helps, makes him, like, does he notice any effect from it? He looks delighted to see it. He's like, oh, it's been so long since I've seen any of this, but I think you should keep it, Mr. Whitmire. I don't think it would help me. Oh, all right. Uh, do you know any way, like, when when we enter this this uh, place, do you know any way to control where we enter at? So I always seem to start in the Enchanted Woods in a different location every time. Yes, I think, you know, this place plays on the subconscious, so sometimes our fears of an area are the strongest thing that we feel, and then that's where you might appear, but... If you focus your mind enough, you can determine where you appear in this place. Or at least that's what Mr. Merriweather claimed. It was uh, it was more difficult than just appearing here, but it could be done. Okay. Those are the only questions I had for now. And uh, Mr. Monroe, if you follow me, we can look at the library here in the temple. They have quite a few books. I think you'll find it quite fascinating when we walk in there. I'm sure I will. Please lead the way. All right, so he takes you into an adjoining room, and then it is sort of breathtaking the moment you walk in there because this interior space could not exist from what you saw of the exterior of the building. We got a TARDIS effect going. Right. (laughs) So, uh, and you can see it's mostly vertical uh, and that there are many levels with those very uh, steep spiraling staircases up to the next ones. And he says they have quite a few books here, uh, I think when we first walk in, like, I'll stop walking forward and do that thing where he continues on and yeah. doesn't realize that I've just stopped and I'm staring. So time spent here can be used to earn a check in your dream lore skill. They have, as you start looking down the rows just on this level, they have, you know, books on different topics. You know, some are on the gods, some are on the flora and flana of different places or the geography as as they know it. Although you see when you look at this section on the, like this Atlas section, they have revised versions of it as, as though there's not any permanent, permanent state okay. to the area. You see a book that catches your attention called the myth of cradle, but then you move on to other things. Myth of cradle. Yeah. <laughs> nice. And, uh, and give me a luck roll. Uh, yeah. I have not gotten anything today. Yeah, it's it's uh, a problem of so much information that you don't even know where to look and focus for one moment. You know, you'd need yeah, a, a strong tea and uh, <laughs> yeah. and some. Can time I to... try and find a book too? I'm yeah. not looking for anything in particular. Just yeah, go ahead something. and find a or give me a luck roll. Can I read the book of Cradle to find out what happens <laughs> <laughs> in Gee, the next yeah. season? You could try. <laughs> <laughs> it's still being written. Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, that'd be kind of interesting. You open it up and you see, like, at the end, <laughs> the script's still flowing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's just so much here, and the titles are so strange, and they refer to things that aren't, normally aren't in your your human experience. So nothing jumps out at you as, as holding any attachment to the experience that you've had in re- the recent week. So, I mean, you just randomly pick a book and it would go into some topic, you know, which I kind of have to arbitrate at this point and be like, well, you guys can get the skill increase. And then when it becomes important, 
then we can go into details as I did not write a full library of books for the <laughs> dreamland. So, but yeah, they're just for anybody that has a, an appreciation of books. It's a, it's a good spot to be. And one could spend multiple lifetimes in this spot. And he, he's like, he, uh, Robert claps you on the back and he's like, it's wonderful, isn't it? It truly is magnificent. You know, I was delighted to find they even, they had a copy of one of my books in here and I tried to track down where they had gotten it from, but they didn't know the, the current caretakers didn't have that information, hmm. but it's very strange. You had been searching for the Liber of Annas in the waking world before your transition to this one. Have you sought out any of the books that you'd been seeking in the waking world here? Well, I did for a little while, but I found that my interests, the course of my life was altered. If I had continued doing that, it would have just been because it was something that I had remembered and not a true interest. And, you know, I, in all humility, see myself as an artist and I have to follow my interests. And after a few weeks here, I, I found it pulled in every direction. But what those old mortal concerns were, I do not think that they have a copy of the Libra Ivanis here. I, well, I was less considering that, but uh, there were there are several tomes and rare, uh, rare books and volumes that I'm curious if I may have better luck finding them in one of these libraries than I do in the real world. But that may be for another time. Um, well, Nicholas spent a lot of time here prior to his departure. Did Mister Merriweather also spend time here as well? Yes. I, I don't suppose you could lead us to the books or the sections that they had been reading prior to their their leaving for Mount Lyrian. I think that I could. Ah, very good. That that would be most helpful. So uh, he takes you up these narrow stairwells to some of the different levels, and there ends up being seven levels in all. And up at the top level, he says this is where Mr. Merriweather spent most of his time when he was here, uh, particularly with this book, and he pulls out a copy of the Narcotic Manuscripts. That was actually one of the ones that I was specifically <laughs> thinking of as far as, like, tomes in the real world that I couldn't get my hands on. Yes, it was, as I said, he's as cryptic as ever, even when he was here, and he only spoke of some looming threat that this might shed some light on. You know, he spoke of a time would pass on Earth when the stars were right, and there would be cataclysm, at least from humanity's point of view. Hmm. I don't know if he was seeking to stop that or or usher it forth. He seemed equally excited and horrified. Well, I suppose that that is uh, something that we share in common, as we have found that uh, some forces in the waking world are carrying out some sort of a, a plan that we are yet unaware of the scope of it, but it could be very the very same uh, cataclysm that Mr. Merriweather has sought to either participate in or uh, halt. I suppose that Mr. Merriweather himself would have to speak to which, which path he has chosen. If he ever would. Uh, very true. Uh, and Mr. Whitmire, I can speak a little bit about the myth surrounding men. Mount Lyrian, uh, but I want to show you an image first. And he uh, goes somewhere else on the shelf and he just pulls out, it looks like a coffee table art book. 
for that matter. It just has a bunch of different images, and it uh, seems to be drawings from around like Ulthar, and it goes to a section of Mount Lyrion, and there you have like a landscape of its foothills and the supposed city that's somewhere on its slope. And he turns to a page, and it's a drawing of a figure that I'll need an education roll from, from you. Nice. Hard success. So it looks like a Neanderthal from a human, you know, the, the Neanderthal man. It looks exactly like that. And uh, Robert's sort of smiling, and he's like, now what does this look like to you? Uh, it looks like... Uh... You know, caveman. Uh, so you're saying that this is where man comes from? or Well, no, I'm not saying that at all. I, I just found it interesting that, you know, something from our history on Earth would appear here. Now, the legend goes that these people, uh, which people in Uthal, Ulthar call Ugarothians, lived on Mount Lyrian, and they apparently tried to make a pact with some dark god. I'm not certain on the details on that one, but... Vagua. I don't know if that was the name. I'm, I'm sorry. Sorry. <laughs> but uh, the the six kingdoms came together and put together an army and, and threw back this group of Ugarothians and their dark god, and they have not been seen since. But they supposedly had a great city in Mount Lyrian called Ugaroth. So my thought was... You know, we we're not sure what happens to our our human ancestors. You know, our ancestors like did Neanderthal just die off, or did they move in whole to the dreamlands? That was just a thought I had once I saw the picture. Or is this just a coincidence? Well, it's wholly possible that uh, they came. They did come from this place. With what you're telling me, as who knows what the passage of time was, but if they were never defeated and like fully defeated, completely extinct, what if they uh, somehow found a way with the help of that dark god to get uh, somehow you know, moved to our world? I mean, it could be possible. I don't know. I, the The legends just say that they performed human sacrifices in their city which is built entirely to honor this god. I do and know that. You said that there was a, a like a roughly a map that kind of depicted a city up there somewhere. It's a drawing of the city as seen from the foothills, so it's not very descriptive. It's it kind of looks almost like a watercolor painting. It's more representative. It's trying to catch perhaps the the feeling that one gets if they stand there and they gaze upon it rather than so, an accurate um, mainly, I, I want to keep, uh, I want to try and memorize the images behind the city, right? Like any, any mountains, hills, uh, rock formations, anything like that. If I can, if there's anything like that there. Yeah. That you way can I definitely, could try and keep it in mind for, for later. Yeah. You can definitely try to commit that to memory. Uh, he snaps his fingers, Robert does, and he says, ah, the thing in the yellow mask is what the legends said the god's name was. Does that ring a bell for you guys? That sounds like father. The yellow mask. thing in the yellow mask. Did, does it have eyes? Do you have a picture? Anything? Uh, not that I've come across of, and certainly not in this book. As this. Can I uh, describe that mask uh, that we found in Peru and ask him if that sounds... And is that 
sound familiar? I mean, that sounds like a yellow mask, but I don't, I don't know if that's this god. I mean, this is ancient history. It's, it's so old that it's now myth to the people of Ulthar. So who knows how long ago this hat happened, but that's what they called him in the myth. So let's pause on you guys for a minute. Head back to Dr. Andrews as he's sort of walking down the hallways of these, this installation. And each of these rooms you peer into have that, they're very similar to the first one in the sense that you are looking at technology that you don't quite understand, but you feel that it's more than just your ignorance of current technology. The construction, the lines are all different than what you saw in that basement in the radio room at the university. Mm-hmm. There's a... There's an elegance to him that doesn't look necessarily like it was made or came from a human mind. You're not quite sure how you make that connection. It's like the buttons and things are, are uh, what's the word? They're constructed in a way to accommodate a different physiology than mere fingers or thumbs. Uh-huh. Okay. And one of the doors you peek into is a stairwell down into a basement from which you hear a thrumming. A sort of repeating pattern of one, two, three, and then that fourth one's held for a few seconds longer, and you get the smell of earth emanating from the basement. All right, so that's to the basement, and is that every other door I've opened, all of them? Pretty much, yeah. And I'm looking through these, and they all have the radio equipment that looks odd to me, more advanced or for a different physio. It's all electrical equipment. Yeah. It seems to run on some form of electricity. Some form of electricity. <laughs> now, does any of it look distinctive from any of the other? Like, like, do I see one that looks like it was made for, you know, Martians and one that looks like it was made for <laughs> Venusians? No, they all, they all appear to be accommodating towards this inhuman physiology. The first room was the most familiar because you saw something that looked like the radio room, but the subsequent rooms are only similar in the sense that they have these okay, construct, yeah. these electrical constructs that do something. You're not sure. You see a piece of parchment or paper sticking out of an opening on one of the devices. Yeah, let me look at that. It's There's a script you don't understand for one, but there it, it does use the... Where numbers appear, it is the Arabic numeral system. So you see like ones and twos and fours and, and all that sort of stuff, but... Everything around it's too confusing to make sense of it, other than it seems to be like a measurement or a chart of some kind. They're like technical readouts in a way. Mm -hmm. So um, looking at like the equipment in there, do I see buttons or switches or screens, anything like, like, I don't know. You don't see screens. Screens exist yet? No, I don't believe so. Um, All right. So dials... Yeah, yeah, all that sort of stuff. It's just... I don't understand what it's for. Right, there, there'll be like a... It looks like a dial and that it turns, but there's a, there's an oddness to it. Like when you... If you just brush it with your thumb and your forefinger, it doesn't easily grip onto it. You know, like we might put a little bit of ridging around a dial or something, but they have more like slots. Uh-huh. Okay. All right, well, before I go down... And so I've tried all the doors and I haven't found any people. Before I go down... Well, no, no, I'll just go down. Okay. Down into the basement. Well, did I see anything anywhere that looked like it could be used as a weapon? Yeah. Like a crowbar or something? Yeah, 
Yeah, what fact we'll say you saw a crowbar machete, back yeah. in the truck. You don't see a machete, though. Yeah, I'll grab that then, and then I'll head down to the basement. Okay, so you come down these steps, and there's this electrical lighting at first, but then the bulbs, there stops being bulbs hanging out of the ceiling, and instead there's a strange sort of glow that begins to emanate from the walls as you traverse down this, and then it flattens out, and you realize that you're up on a long-running balcony or something that overlooks a grand procession hall, and on one end of it is a columned opening to who knows where, and on the other end looks kind of like a honeycomb with the closest you can think of as a ladder in a library that has multiple levels. You know, it's on wheels and sort of mounted to the wall, Mm -hmm. and you can move it laterally Mm. across it. And each one of these honeycombs looks like the openings between like a bulkhead on a ship, right? Where you have that that thing that you turn mm-hmm. and then a latch opens. So there's just rows of these, one on top of, of another. And as you're watching that, you see the it begin to spin as though one of these is going to open. All right. So I'm like on a balcony. Yeah. And I'm looking down and that's that's generally what I see is like some sort of you know, honeycomb structure each with each one having like a bulkhead door. Right. And what's above me? There's just an arched ceiling. Okay, an arched ceiling. Is there like a railing on right. on this yeah. balcony? Yeah. Well, I'll duck down. Okay. And keep an eye on that one that's spinning. Okay. So you duck down and you're looking through the railing, which are actually the, the a lot like the toad statuette you got. The, so they're supporting the upper rail, there's just rows of them. Does that make sense, right? And um, this door opens, and you see a man wearing a fedora, although with a broader brim and a suit, sort of step out, and he looks over at the ladder, and it seems to propel itself towards him, and he starts coming down the ladder until he gets to the base, and behind him comes another person, somebody you've never met before in your life, He's uh, dressed like a doctor, however, and he clambers down that ladder. And the man in the fedora reaches in his pocket and throws some rose petals or some sort of flower petals on the ground. And the man kneels down and he starts dutifully putting them into his mouth. Fedora man goes forward a few steps, does the same thing. Now you can see the, the from the opposite end, three more men wearing these suits and fedoras start to walk down this procession hall until they meet with this man who's tossing out the flowers, which the doctor-looking fellow is eating dutifully. And uh, he seems to be in some sort of fugue state, you know, like only preoccupied with eating the flower petals, but then he goes on a little ways and eats some more, and they're slowly making them their way down this procession hallway. But you hear that thrumming. It's even louder before. It seems to be picking up, uh, almost has a choral pitch to it. And you think you can make out words. Give me a listen roll. Okay. Hard success. Yeah, so that four-note sound that you've been hearing, that thrumming, you pick up some syllables out of it. So you have like, sa, tha, kyu, wa. And it's held, right? Sa, tha, kyu, wa. And that's picking up as they near the uh, column entry at the far end. Okay. So those other three... stand at different points behind this doctor as the the one who came out of the bulkhead door is throwing petals along the path that the doctor's eating. Wait, they what? 
He's throwing like rose petals out of his pocket and the doctor will reach down and eat them. Right. And then he goes forward a few steps and throws more. Yeah. Yeah. But are they moving towards? The the, column entry. The column. Okay. The doctor, as as he reaches the closest point to you, seems to be in a kind of trance. Yeah. Then I haven't seen these people before. No. Although you've heard their descriptions. Yeah. Is one of these like... um, where who where have I heard the descriptions from Mueller and okay Monroe <clears throat> and probably Whitmire too yeah that's right because he told you about the meeting he had in the hotel lobby to try to retrieve Oren Bietti's soul yeah, cutter the locket like consortium right people yeah. yeah they don't all look the same although there is some similarity <laughs> that you can't quite put your finger on beyond their dress there's a picture something in their movements actually give me a spot hidden roll nice. Success. <laughs> so there's a, f- a flickering light that's coming from somewhere below you, and there the shadows of this procession dance on the far wall sometimes, and you get this nice moment where the shadows cast by the four consortium members, you know, make like a, a an image on the wall, and you realize that the image from these shadows is not the image of a human person, but something else entirely, something with long drooping arms and triangular heads and tails something that you didn't think was on this earth give me a sanity roll yeah so these have the bad shadows yeah so you um with that successful sanity roll you can wave it away as the oddities of a dreamlike state although it obviously recalls to you charlie murphy's description of a man whose shadow was all wrong and what these guys your companions have said to you yeah, they were, they had tails, and what else did you say about them? Like triangular heads, longer arms than humans have, generally. Okay, all right. Okay, so, like, are they, what, how far, how many levels below me are they? Just one, although it is like a 15-foot a drop. Yeah, and there's like a, an entryway, do I, can I, how far into that can I see the, what they're heading towards? Almost not at all. It, okay. it seems as though the darkness in there uh, begins artificially at the opening. Like okay. the, the light from this lichen that grows on the walls does not seem to penetrate it. All right. But they're headed that direction? Yes. Although you do see that this railing you're on continues down along this procession hall. And there, there does seem to be an exit to elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, but I'll just hold still for now and see if they... Move on, yeah. So I don't get caught. Yeah, they do. It doesn't take much longer than ten minutes for them to traverse the entirety of the hallway, and then they disappear into that columned opening at the end. And the uh, chanting reaches a a crescendo, and then stops. Okay. Yeah. So once now, when they move down that that columned area, did I like hear the opening of a door or? No, no, nothing. Okay. All right. So then, then the chanting stops and I'm like a level above them, but I do see that there's like, it looks like there's some exit up ahead of me. Yeah. Up on the railing. Yeah. Yeah. Now on this section where I am, do I have access to any of the bulkhead doors? You could. Yeah. Are there any along the route that I'm going? Yeah. If you go back the way you came down, right where that stairwell 
came out onto the railing that would be right by the wall with these honeycombed yeah. bulkhead doors. There are two that you could reach as they're in a row there. And by your count, by the number of rows, you just doing some quick multiplication, there are 64 different doorways at the end here. All right. And is there any sort of like iconography or writing or anything like that to set either any of these doors apart from the others? Yeah, there is. But unfortunately, it's in a similar script as you saw in that printout. Uh, You can't make heads or tails of it. I should actually allow a 1% chance. So you can roll a D100 and if you critical it, then by some luck you would be able to decipher it. But that is simply not the case. Yeah, okay. Well, <clears throat> although you can tell on each door there's there's differences between the symbols okay. on there, etched into the metal. Okay, well, what have I to lose? Only my soul and my sanity. I'll go... <laughs> I'll, in a dream, it can't hurt you. Yeah, I'll go to what to the one of the doors I can reach. Okay. Right at the beginning of the rail and see if I can spin that wheel. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a little precarious to to get it open and to move into it. So I'll just need a successful dexterity roll which you perform. Yeah. So the interior beyond this bulkhead door is a little odd. It, it's it is restrictive. Although it appears wooden on the inside. And there's an opening, we'll say, four feet within this wooden interior. It kind of looks like a cupboard door, but from the inside. Okay. And that's, like, how long is it? Four feet from the bulkhead entry to the the opposite, the exit. Yeah. And what kind of door does that look like? It looks like, a, like you were inside a cupboard. Yeah. Like a wooden cupboard. So I'll go peek. Okay. <laughs> Slowly peek. What, what's on the other side of this door here? I'm just hoping that he falls out of the sarcophagus thing in my museum. Yeah, actually, let's do a luck roll from you. Okay. Man, I'm not lucky with my luck rolls. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so you push it open. Uh, you feel something sort of tap into... As I said, when you were walking, you'd begin to flag a little bit mentally. That seems to worsen once you open the door and you feel exhausted just looking out and peeking. But what you see, it's difficult to tell at first, but it comes together. It just looks like a shop because there's a bunch of shoes, some being displayed for sale and some in the process of being created. So it looks like a cobbler shop. Do I hear anything? No, there's... No, you look out... And you recognize it immediately as Boston, but there's no traffic on the road when there should be. You're not particularly sure where in Boston you are, but it's a pretty big road. There's no traffic going up and down the street. Okay. All right. But And it gives me a weird feeling, like like I suddenly am getting super tired. Well, yeah, when you peeked out the door, yeah. You got, yeah basically, it drains some magic points from you. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> yeah, it's too much. There's, there's too many... <laughs> Like, I'll, I'll go back and head towards that that exit okay. that I had seen. Um, you know, because if I go through this, then why not go through any of the 64 others? And yeah. Who knows? You know, so best to figure out as much as I can about the first area before I start. Yeah, so that experience is worth a D4 sand loss. No sand roll in this case. What you realize is that your mind is somewhat dependent that the laws of physics should work. 
the way that you expect them to work. Mm -hmm. So going through a, a small opening from a possession hall into a cobbler's shop in Boston really yeah. fundamentally <laughs> undermines... Not, not in my wheelhouse. <laughs> <laughs> not the sort of thing I'm Your expectations. To, so. Yeah. Yeah, it's just a D4 sanity loss. Lost two points of sanity. Okay. So yeah, you make your way back out, back onto the railing. You get back on the railing, give me a listen roll or spot hidden. Like my choice? Mm-hmm. Hard success. Okay, so as you're straightening up from clambering back over this railing from the opening, you see a shape out of the corner of your eye approaching you rapidly, and it resolves itself to be, well, we'll have to find out what that is next time. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys, thanks for playing. Yeah, thank Appreciate you, Travis. It. Uh, thanks, Travis. Thanks, man. There's a couple of things I wanted to get to you guys before I forget them for all time. So you guys, with the exception of Dr. Andrews getting it. This has been a Death Watch production. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.